I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I am trying to say a whole bunch of things at once. And I can't get all these things out of my mouth, from my head, into my mouth all at once. I've been talking about the outer man. And believe it or not, all of this goes together. Outer man. He has to die. Paul said, there's two men in every believer. There's an outer man. And that man serves the law of the flesh. So every time you find flesh in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it's talking about the worldly man. Paul said we have an inner man, and this inner man is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ. And he serves the law of God. But the thing about all this is that when you first come to truth, most of what you are is this outer man. I'm just using this to... It's This is most of what you are. And that is mostly the flesh or self. Self. That's why Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. The word himself is the word E-A-U-T-O-U. E-A-U-T-O-U. Notice A-U-T-O-U. That is... That is, it's related, to, it comes from the word A-U-T-O, which is the word self. This is the word him, and the, the, the E before a word is called an augment. And it means he must deny himself. A-U-T-O-U is just a form of auto or ate, which is feminine gender, anytime you have an ada on the end of a word. So everything we're talking about is that fleshly man. Now these two men, this one up here, the outer man, can't quit sinning. This is when you're a new born-again baby. You're a new baby in Christ. New babe. The longer you live, and I always put these circles in here to imply or to say that this is what has to happen in every believer's life. I put these circles. This is the new birth in the middle. The Bible says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's that inner man. Doth not commit sin and the outer man 1 John 1 and 8 says if we say we have no sin present tense have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us so you got to as a newborn again believer and as having an outer man that can't quit sinning and the inner man that can't sin This inner man, Christ in you, says, I'm going to take over your life. 
And I use these concentric circles to denote tribulation, trial, fire. And over the years, you will cease a lot of sin in your life. I'm 83 and I do not want to sin the way I used to want to sin. Do you? It's it's a lot of work, isn't it, Lily? It's hard work sinning. Goodness gracious. So the more trials and persecution you have, the more this outer man will be in control get out of control and the inner man will be in control and when you get to be old like me you'll have a real thin veneer of the flesh it'll just be real thin right there and that flesh is nothing but a Babylonian nature You've got two mountains in the Bible. All this goes together. You've got Zion, which is the mountain where Jerusalem sits. And in the church, we are heavenly. We are Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, the church. The church of the firstborn. And the church is the kingdom of God. Notice how all these things go together. Kingdom of God. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. So that's the inner man that's in us. That's the kingdom of God. Now you had Zion. That's one mountain. The second mountain is Babylon. Babylon is the very essence of everything evil. It's the very essence. Revelation 17 and 5, one of my favorite verses says that Babylon mothered. Babylon was the mother. What does a mother do? She nourishes, gives birth to, and pampers the baby as it grows. The mother of harlots P-O-R-N-E-I-A. Pornia is the word harlot, but it doesn't mean a prostitute. It does in a certain spiritual sense. Harlot is the word pornea. It means idolatry. And when you're thinking of idolatry in the New Testament times, the Bible says covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. And covetousness is this word, pleon, P-L-E-O-N, E-K-T-E-S. Pleonectes means to want more That's this outer man wanting more for his flesh. It means not just to want more, but it means to want more through any kind of means you can get it by being devious and underhanded and crooked. And like the Old Testament says, 
That's froward men. Froward has about 12 definitions, but they all have the same basic meaning, froward. When you see froward, the Bible says that man is twisted and he's perverted in all of his thinking. So that is, why is a man twisted? So he can have what he wants. That's the outer man having what he desires. Now, if Babylon mothered everything, and she did, you, I remember when I was about 37 years old, I was at the end of my music career. I was real deathly ill in a bed, and I thought I was going to die. And I laid there in bed and thought about nothing but the Bible. I got to thinking, where is Babylon? Who is Babylon? And I said, I think I know where to find her. And I looked at Revelation 17 and 5, and I said, she was found back here in Genesis 11. And verse 4 will tell you what she was founded upon. And And I had been out there trying to be famous and make myself a name. And I all of a sudden read this verse. They said, let us build us a city and a tower and let us, let us make us a name. I never had anything hit me as hard in my life as that verse connected with this verse. No two verses in the Bible ever struck me down. And I said, oh God, that's me. Oh God, forgive me. I had been trying to be somebody. That's what Babylon is founded on. And that oppresses the downtrodden, the poor, the poor wonder, why can't I be successful by the the rich on top? I told a fellow the other day, I said, most people think the white man in the world is the rich man on top of the pond. And he's actually the scum on the top of the pond. They, it, the scum gathers there too. I said, I said, except there's a problem. I said, I told this to a young black man. I said, black people think the white people are on the top of the world. And they're actually down in the gutter. And I said, you're standing on your head looking at the white man saying, I need to get up there where he is. No, if you get where he is, you'll be in the gutter. Because I told him, I said, you're young, you're black. It was actually Zach I was talking to. Zach that comes here. He's been my friend since he was this tall. He's about 32 now. And I said, people don't, I said, the black community does not know what they're doing when they're trying to get up there where the white man is they're trying to get down in the gutter where he is and you say Jim how can you say that well let me put it this way know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God now aren't the white people more friends with the world in America than anything else well sure they are and the black man has been oppressed and the Mexican has been oppressed and the American Indian has been oppressed. The American Indian has nearly been annihilated from America. There were hundreds of millions of them and we killed them. Oh, people will get angry at Adolf Hitler for killing all the Jews. We did the same thing to the American Indian, to the Mexicans in Mexico when we attacked them. 
took their lands away from them. And to to the blacks, to any minorities, is ruled by the whites in America. And that kind of paints them guilty because the Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. If you're a famous singer, a famous country singer, and you've got all kinds of hit records, there's a cry of damnation against you, George Strait, George Jones, anybody that's had as many hits as they've had, and they're world famous. I don't know them personally, but I know their position and what they're in, and I've been in the music business, and it takes lots of compromise to get on top of it. An unbelievable amount of compromise. So, woe unto you when all men speak well of you and you're a famous singer or a famous football player or a famous baseball player and they always look good when they put them in commercials, don't they? They look great. They look fantastic. Well, they are, but I'd like to ask them one question. Who makes you to differ from another? And what dost thou have that thou hadst not received from God? If thou didst receive this talent that you have from God, why are you taking the glory as though you didn't get it from God, huh? That's what I want to know. And does, uh, does, does, uh, singers, musicians, do they bask in their glory? Absolutely. I know them. I know what they're like. You guys can't fool me. Cause I was one, I was like you, except I couldn't compromise. And I wouldn't compromise. So I kind of, Ran my gamut and it was over. But I know what's going on in the music world. And the same thing goes in the sports world or any world where there's fame. And that's even true of the political world. Wherever there's fame. The Bible says, maybe you guys don't know this. The Bible says, Bless you to ye when men shall reproach you. That's a condemnation against every famous singer in America. Every famous athlete in the world. That's a condemnation. That word reproach, Bless you to you when men shall reproach you. Blessed is the word makurios. You are fortunate. In this world, when you reproached, reproached. Reproach is the word O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Onidzo. It means to be infamous. It's the exact opposite of famous. Now, you guys may not like this. And I'm old enough to be most of the stars' father. I've been around a long time. You can't fool me. Now, you can go sell this stuff to some promoter or some writer or something, but you can't fool me. I'm too old to be fooled. I'm 83. I've been around a long time. Now, so what we're talking about, what causes a man 
to be famous and not infamous. He's not blessed by God. And he's wanting to fulfill that fleshly man. And that's a Babylonian attitude. That's what it is. Wanting to fulfill your flesh. What that does, there are people in the world. I know they won't mind me saying this. People like John and Lily, they're very, very gentle, tender-hearted people. They don't have the get up and go. Don't tell Lily you can be a great, uh, great uh, promoter like me. And uh, my name is, uh, I'm a big, super high-rate salesman. What's his name? Tony Robbins. Do you actually think that you could become like Tony Robbins, Lily? No possible way. No way. And John couldn't become like it. Neither could you, Teresa, could you? No, he just is an out-and-out liar telling people, you can be great like I am. That's like some singer saying, you can be great like me. It's just not true. The, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Tokos, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. To the man who's been emptied of himself. Well, that's not these famous people, is it? No. To the brokenhearted. David said, a broken and a contrite heart, thou wilt not refuse, Lord. You think most of these stars, that they're brokenhearted? And God's breaking some of them's hearts now because Olivia Newton-John died here of cancer just the other day. And what's his name? The big country star. He's come down with uh, Alan Jackson, has come down with a disease that he can't hardly stand up. And they say it's not curable, so he's going to have to take him a stool to go on his tours with. Why don't he just quit? He's got about $90 million. Why don't you just go home, Alan? I don't understand you guys. And you don't even care about the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. I care about the brokenhearted to the point I send them money every month. Not just me, but this church does. And I get this. This gets in my craw from time to time. And Jesus said, I came to preach the gospel to the He said to the blind, he's not talking about literal blind, he's talking about to the Gentile blind that was blind from one end of the Bible, from Adam all the way to Jesus, to the Gentile blind. He said to the brokenhearted, the bruised. That's the message of God is to the downtrodden. It's not to the rich and the wealthy and the famous. Those guys... Most of them are disgusting. I've been around them, I know. They can't they can't talk to anybody. The only thing they like is to be on a stage and everybody's adoring them. See, they're saying, I love all of you, I love you. Oh, take them one on one over to the side and see if they love you that much. They don't. All right. I'm just simply talking about that outer man. That outer man if You're a star, and God does not take you down the road 
of tribulation, you can't go to heaven when you die. And tribulation is not losing a bunch of uh, $100,000 dates. That's not it. Paul said we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And he said that when he had been stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. He said people have to want to kill you. They wanted to kill him the longest day he lived. And you have to be, your heart has to be broken. You have to be bruised. That means to be, that means to be crushed by life. Stars are not crushed, are they? No. Stars have a Babylonian self fleshly attitude. I know I've been around them. Had a vocal group that backed Jim Ed Brown and all that was on his show for a couple of years. I know how those people are. The arrogance is disgusting. It's like I did all this myself and it's because I'm so wonderful and great. No, you're not. When God gets tired of you, he'll kill you and put you in hell. All right, now. We're talking about demons. Demon. It's, there's no such thing as demon. The word is D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Demonion. Notice how all these things go together. I'm not just repeating myself. I'm telling you the same thing over and over and over again about this word and this word and this word and this word and this word down here. And all these words go together. Demon. Demonion. It means to distribute fortunes. They There were no such thing as demons in the first century. They called all of their gods, little G-O-D-S, by the title of demons or daemonion, demon. That would be Hercules, Jupiter, Venus, Sybil, Ceres. Name any of them. They were what they called demigods. D-E-M-I-G-O-D-S. The reason preachers don't know this, they don't study and research these men that have wrote on these people. I've got one book called Demons and Spirits. You can take this, you can take this set of books right here. This is Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. Look up in the D volume. Look up demons. It'll say demons and spirits in Assyria. And it'll go for three or four pages describing them. And it'll talk about genies. It'll talk about totems. It will talk about guardian angels or guardians. And it'll tell you they're all the same thing in Assyria. Babylon, among the Japanese, among the Shintoism, among all of the pagan orders of the world. And all you have to do is look up demons and spirits. And if you, if you want to know how you look it up in a Hastings, just look up Hastings on the Internet. I don't know if they got it on the Internet yet. But this is a magnificent thing. In this series here, you can take the V, v volume the V volume and look up vampire. Bram Stoker didn't start that in the 1800s when he wrote Dracula. That's been around 
for thousands of years. And they called that being moonstruck. When the man brought his son to Jesus in in the 17th chapter of Matthew, and he said, I should notice this, he said, my son is lunatic. Lunatic comes from the word lunar, which is the word moon. What the man was saying is, my son is moonstruck. He's a vampire or a werewolf. Now, you believe that? Let me ask you this. You think Jesus actually believed that? No. You've got to look at who's talking and who they're talking to. These guys that come to Jesus say, i got all these demons in him. The way Jesus would change, the way he would correct them, he would change the number. Or he would change the gender. What do you mean he would change the number of the gender? Everyone in the first century believed that the demons came in hordes. H-O-A-R-D-E-S. Hordes. That's why the man in Mark and excuse me, Luke 8. Luke 8. He said, I've got legion in me. Do you actually believe Jesus believed that he had a legion of demons in him? He said legion. And it was feminine gender, plural. They said the demons came in hordes. They were coming in thousands. Well, legion was, it, one time it was 3,000 in a Roman army. It grew to be 6,000 in a Roman army. Now, you actually believe that Jesus believed this man had 6,000 evil spirits inside of him that caused him to run to the tombs and cut himself all over and scream and talk to his dead ancestors. No. Jesus didn't believe that. Just because the Bible says he said it, Jesus turned around and said, because... Many devils, and when Jesus said many devils, he used the word demonion, but he changed the spelling on it and made it neuter gender. What Jesus said, they're not there. He simply changed it. He did the same thing in Mark, the first chapter, where he runs across a man in the synagogue the Bible says he had unclean spirits. Unclean spirits. Unclean spirits. And the man says, what have we to do with thee? He used plural. More than one. And then Jesus looked at the man and Jesus rebuked. He changed the he changed the number. He rebuked him. Not them. Him. A U T O. That's the word self. That's our word auto. 
an automobile is self-mobile. An autobiography is written by the man himself. So Jesus simply changed the gender and changed the number to singular because he's saying we, and he is implying that he's got all of these demons in him. So Jesus changes the number from plural to singular and changes it from from feminine to masculine. No, it's just you, he said. That's all. See, but most people don't know that when they're reading the Bible to look at the original Greek text and find out what Jesus' reply was to all those people that said that. Demons have to do with this outer man, has to do with self distributing fortunes. Everything you can talk about that's wicked and evil, and you can look at Matthew 8 and Mark 8, Mark 6, Mark 5, excuse me, and that'll tell you about the same man, and he's literally crazy running through the tombs, cutting himself in Mark 5. Does that sound like he's got any kind of good sense? No, he was crazy. He was possessed with devils or he was nuts. And Jesus rebuked him. Now, you say, does all this have to do with everything? Yes, it does. Everything that's evil has to do with one word. Self. That's something people do not want to hear and the preachers won't say it from their pulpits because it will make most of the wolves that go there mad and angry. That's just like telling Christmas is pagan, Easter's pagan, and God does not love everybody. That makes everybody mad. Even though God said He didn't love everybody. Now, everything we're talking about is about that outer man getting rid of him, and everybody wants to make that man acceptable called the flesh. Now, God's going to destroy Babylon. What he's going to destroy is let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. He's going to destroy that. That has to do with the fleshly man. Fleshly man. Let me give you a verse one more time. I'm going to stick it in the middle of this so I can remind you of it. Remember over here in... And uh, if I repeat some of these things, it's because every one of these words has to do with every one of the other words. Everything that's evil in life has to do with the fleshly outer man. That's it. No matter if it's murder, man is saying, I'll get her back. I'll get her if I have to kill her. Or if a man is broke and he's desperate and he says, I'll rob a bank. I'll get I'll get the money I need by robbing a bank. Every evil that a man does is about the fleshly man. It's about this right here. Romans seven. Romans seven where that Paul is talking about the inner and the outer man. I guess the first place you need to read, reading this verse, is by reading the last verse of the seventh chapter. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, 
I myself serve the law of God. That's the inner man. But with the flesh, that's the outer man, the law of sin. That's all the flesh does is sin. Preachers won't tell that to people. They won't say it from their pulpit because they want to comfort them along. All you guys are doing is comfort them in their sin. You've got to tell them this tribulation you're going through is a necessity. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible because it, it condemns the outer man and it says the inner man is going to win because it goes all through here and says, I've had more people ask me about this chapter than just about anything else. I don't understand that when he says, verse 15, for that which I do, do is present tense. The word do is the word do is the word katrogadzomai or the he said the things that I do and he's talking about practice what I practice allowed I allow not but what I would that do I not I what I really want to be doing is not what I do and what I hate that's what I do Poeo, that's what I paint as a picture in my life. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it's good because that outer man is going with against the law and fulfilling the flesh. This is all a Babylonian attitude. And then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth. In me, the word "dwelleth" is a word. It comes from "oikos," which is the word "house." It's housed in me. Oikos. O, I K, O S. It's housed inside of me. And then he says, "For the good that I would," verse nineteen, I don't do right. The good is the word agathos, which is, we know, and we know that all things work together for good. He said, I don't want to do the things that are beneficial to me. I do not. And the evil which I would not, that's what I do. Do all through his present tense. That's what I'm doing. I'm the Apostle Paul writing this book to the Romans, and I'm telling you the condition I'm in right now. But he grows and grows and grows and his faith increases. But if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in the outer man. Because he's going to wrap this up with the inner and the outer man. And I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me in this outer man. And I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's the one that serves the law of God. And I see another law in my mind, members warring against the law of my mind. It's in my members. My members are these hands, my eyes, my feet. It rushes to do evil if God doesn't stop me. And bringing me in captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Your members is like your arms, your legs, your eyes, your ears. 
and your sexual organs also. And you're doing evil. Oh, wretched man that I am. That is present tense. Am is present tense. Who shall deliver me from this outer man? Then he says those famous words. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. And then he goes into the following chapter. Which is Romans the 8th chapter. And has to do with predestination. So he starts talking to you about how he's going to get rid of this Babylonian attitude. That's in the outer man. So let us make us a name. And then he says, there is, therefore, that is a conjunction. Therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, the outer man, but after the spirit, the inner man. He's still talking about the two men. And then he says, for the law of the spirit of, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He says, I am free from that outer man. God is going to kill it off with all kinds of tribulation and fire and persecution through my whole life. It's a shame how poor people in America are intimidated by the rich people and made to feel like the rich have something they don't have. They do have. They've got death in hell forever. But what the law would not do, it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned the outer man. And you go all the way through this. Then when you get down there to the end of this chapter, or you get to three quarters of the way through it, it talks about, and we know all the things that we're going through works together for good to get rid of the carnal man, that outer man. Now, I could stop and stay on this half a night, but I'm going to come back to that. Everything we're talking about, everything, I'll give you this, that when you get into I'll just stop and and remind you of something in this book of Romans. When you're working your way through this 8th chapter, and you're working your way to get down to Romans 8 and 28 and 29, Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that are called of God. They're the works together for good to them that love God. That word love is agape, but you can't agape God without Him putting it in your heart. And to them who are the called, there's only one called in the Bible according to His purpose. That's the church. Called is the word kaleo. K-A-L-E-O. And there's only one called. That's why it says the called. The called. The ecclesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, which is the word church. It means called kaleo out of this world to live God in righteousness. There's something I've got to insert here because I want, I like to insert this as much as possible. 
You remember the word straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Straight. And narrow is the way. That leads to eternal life. Eternal life. And few there be that find it. So the gate, the way is straight. Stenos is the word. Narrow is the way. Thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. Thalibo is the word narrow. And we get the word thalipsis from that. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. One is the verb. And the other is the noun. They're basically the same thing. Narrow means you're crowding through a narrow opening and you're being pressured by the world. The reason we're being pressured by the world in this narrow way is because we're telling the world Christmas is pagan, Easter's pagan, God does not love everybody. Without a daily cross, you can't go to heaven when you die. You have to suffer for righteousness' sake. All that will of God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When the Bible says, Paul said unto you, it is given the behalf of Christ, not only to believe upon him, but also to suffer for his sake. You have to go through the suffering if you're going to be a believer and go into heaven. Well, this word stenos has a verb form. The verb form is stenazo, S-T-E-N-A-Z-O. That's the verb form of stenos. A verb shows action. That word stenos, you'll find that in Romans 9 and 22. For we know that the whole creation, now the creation is not talking about everyone that was created in the beginning. It's not talking about that. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are a creation. Catesis is something that's perfect. The people that are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, they're not a creation. They're, a, they're actually a chaotic creation. They're a chaotic destruction is what they are. They are. So he says, the creation groaneth. That would not include unbelievers because groaneth is a form of the word stenazo. It's sustenazo, sustenazo. Remember the word sa or su or sum or sug. All that is a form of the same word. It means with. The creation is going through the straight gate, struggling with the other believers. We're struggling in a common struggling. And he says, Know that the whole creation, which is all the believers, groaneth their, their stenazo together, their sustenazo, and travaileth in pain together until now. We're in pain because we must do much tribulation into the kingdom of God. Then he says down in verse 23, Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, stenazo, 
you're going through the narrow way, through the straight gate and the narrow way. That word groan is the verb form of straight, or excuse me, stride. I'll get it in a minute. Stenos. It's the straight gate that we're going through. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. That word groan is the, for, is the verb form of stenos, straight. So we ourselves groan within ourselves. It's ourselves, all of us that are believers, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body when he gives us a new body. And then he says down here in in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings. Stenogmos, that is a just a form of stenos. S-T-E-N-A-G. M-O-S. It's a form of stenos. It's groaning together. That's we're groaning together. Then he goes into verse 28. And we know that all these things we're groaning over work together for good. All the trials and tribulation we're going through work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All the groaning, all the hurt, all the pain is for our good. Have you ever just stopped and thought about all you've gone through? And to say, this is all for my good to make me bow to him. Like I've said, the rich people in America... The majority of those people are going to hell when they die. And you say, Jim, have you just got it in for the rich? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they're very wicked people. The Bible says, woe to you that are rich. You have your consolation. Woe to you that laugh. You got your reward. I don't believe there's much laughing in the kingdom of God, much jokes. I can't stand a preacher that does nothing but take the word of God and make a joke out of it like that moron, Jesse the plant. He's got the IQ of a plant. Don't like the guy, Jesse Duplantis. Then he says in verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, the whom's all those groaning people in the previous verses. For whom, and the whom is referring back to those that love God and to them who are the called. For these are the whoms. And he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed. Our being conformed has to do with the groaning, has to do with the persecution, the tribulation, and the hurt that we all go through so that as we get older, we can bow to this hurt. So this is what God wants me to go through. Have you ever thought of that? Just thought, I'm going through these troubles and these trials, and it's what God wants. There's no need in me trying to pray, Lord, cause this to go away. It's not going away. Not for the believer. I'm getting tired. I'm old. I'm out. I'm getting tired. More tired every day. I look forward to Jesus coming and getting me out of this crazy, insane world. I don't, I'm not thrilled at my house being paid for. 
I'm not thrilled at my cars being paid for. I'm not thrilled at having whatever I have. Me and Mary got to talking today. I said, there's not anything I want. The only thing I want is another shirt with some words on it. God doesn't love everybody. That's all I buy for myself. If I need some pants, I'll buy them, but I don't I don't need fancy suits because I don't wear those at all. I believe all they do is intimidate the poor. Get it in your minds that we're not supposed to have what the rich world has. Now, everything we've been talking about is about this Babylonian attitude. God is going to destroy Babylon one day, and all that that outer man who wants to just strive to have what he wants, God says, you're not going to have what you want. When you're one of my believers, you're not going to have it. Forget it. So you can just, if you get to where that you've got what you want, I'll put it this way. If, if you get to the place where you got where you used to want it, I don't want anything anymore. I don't care about nothing. I don't care about my property. I don't care about my possessions. I just don't care about it. Well, how much are you going to care when you got six or eight years to live and that's it? If somebody said, we're going to give you Bill Gates' fortune, $196 billion, and you're 85 years old, what are you going to do with it? You're not going to spend it. You haven't got time enough to spend it. You're going to die having it in the bank, and then you'll, then your relatives will fight over it when you're dead. That's what happens, isn't it? Now, Everything I'm talking about is about this outer man. Well, let me put it this way. The outer man is sin. Sin is an interesting word. Hamartia. H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. It comes from the word meros. M-E-R-O-S. Maros means a portion to eat of. Portion to eat of. The alpha primitive, there is no H in front of sin. There's just the breathing sound, hamartia. That's an H sound, hamartia. It actually is meros. With the alpha in front of it, it means unlawful portion. Where did that begin? In the garden. These things, this whole story never ceases. There was a garden in Eden, eastward in Eden. We know about where that was. It was just about where it was right there on the Euphrates River in the land of what we call Iraq. That's where the Garden of Eden was. That's why I believe that when they built Babylon there, when they built Babylon, they just simply reinstituted Garden of Eden worship. 
because it was eastward in Eden. And it gives you the Nile River and the Euphrates River there in Genesis, the second chapter. That's the same area that God gave to Abraham as the land of Israel from the Nile up to the Euphrates. So, Amaros means an unlawful, the alpha privative portion. That word meros, that's the same word that's used in Second Corinthians 12. 12, when the Bible says, we are members of the body of Christ in particular. In particular, that word meros is the same word in Luke, the 24th chapter, after Jesus had died and he went to northern Galilee, he found the apostles up there and they had been fishing. He said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish. The word peace is that word meros. So an unlawful portion would be amaros or the word sin. Amartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. And that began in the garden. You can eat of all these trees outside Outside, and the, by the way, the mark of the beast started in the garden. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Serpent, more subtle than any beast of the field. So the beast was was ruling in the garden, and God had a mark. Said you can't. There's a tree in the middle of the garden. You cannot go and eat of that tree. You could eat of all this legal food out here, all these other trees. And what Satan did, he simply put the Word of God in question. And he said, Eve, did God say you couldn't eat of any of these trees out here? Well, he lied to you. What Satan does, he puts God's Word in question by all these false teachers. And what we have to do is call them down. So this would be unlawful food or hamartia, ameros. That's what the tree in the middle of the garden. Remember what was in the tree in the garden? John said, all that's in the world, all in the world. Now he's about to describe to you what this outer man wants, the flesh wants. He's about to describe it. Here's everything in the world that a man wants to fulfill this outer man with. This is everything. Everything. Nothing accepted in this. Women in this for men. Men in this for women. Sex. Money. Houses. Cars. Things. Let us make us a name. It's all in this. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. 
Eve looked at the tree in Genesis, the third chapter, and this is exactly what she saw. A tree that is good for food. It would fulfill the lust of her flesh. Lust of the eye, pleasant to the eye. And the pride of life. Pride is the word A-L-A-Z-O-N-I-A. That's in First John. This is what John said, First John 2.16. John says this, this matches up with what Eve saw in the tree in the garden. And it matches up with what that outer man wants in the flesh. It all boils down to the same thing. And lust is the word epithumia, E-P-I-T-H-U-M-I-A. And epithumia means to long for that which is forbidden. It comes from epi and thumos. Thumos means to breathe hard after and superimpose that upon your life. I, I want her. I want that. I want that car. I want everybody. I want all this money and stuff and I can get it now. It'll kill me. It will eventually kill you. What it'll do. So that's everything. This is everything you get from a demon. Demon daemonion means to distribute fortune. So what if I said to distribute all that's in the world? This would cover everything that's out there in the flesh or in the gay. The dirt, the soil. Men hate. They hate the cross of Christ that says you have to crucify what you want. What's in that tree, which is this right here, it's everything the flesh wants. Everything. And when the Bible says that with the flesh we serve the outer man and with the spirit we serve the inner man, that's Christ in you. Boy, it's hard to come to that place. God has to destroy he has to destroy this outer man's desires. What he has to do is get the outer man, after someone's tribulation and trial and persecution and affliction, after you've suffered so much for so many years, he insists that you vote with him. That's two. It takes two to put a man to death in Israel. And he says, you've got to vote with me that self must die. And if you get old enough, you live long enough, self will die. You'll start quitting having desiring. Let me tell you what will make self die. You fill up your heart with all these Greek words and all this Bible and be able to spew this stuff out. And when you get to where you can just pour this stuff out, as fast as you can talk, you know that everybody you talk to don't want to hear it. And that gets you to a place where you know that the car you're driving is not going to impress them. The diamond ring you're wearing is not going to impress them. And you're going to feel foolish wearing a diamond ring. And I'll put in a pulpit flashing a five-carat diamond ring in your face saying, death to self, daily cross, that's stupid. 
people that I talk to, they don't like to talk to me very long if they don't want the truth. Because I'm stealing their flesh. I'm telling them they have to die. I don't know of any preachers that talks about the fleshly man as much as I talk about it. I don't know of any preachers that have had to die to the outer man like I've had to die. Because I really wanted myself. Now, that outer man is Babylon. It has let us make up our own name. That's who he is. It's a Babylonian attitude. It's the same attitude when Peter said to Jesus, Behold, the tree that you cursed is dead. And Peter had a Babylonian attitude because all he could think of was the last two verses of Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, that it was against God's law to kill any fruit tree, whether it belonged to an enemy or to Israel. Because that was the substance of man's life. Unless, that was in Deuteronomy, unless, according to Leviticus, the 19th chapter, he was five years older, older, not bearing fruit. And Jesus knew how old that fig tree was. And so when Peter says, Behold! Behold is a cry of excitement. Ide, I-D-E. He was saying, Jesus, you killed a fig tree. Don't you know it's against the law to do that? And Jesus said, Have faith in God. I'm God. I know how old the fig tree was. You see, there wasn't just one fig tree in Beth Page. Beth Page, we changed it to Beth Page. It means house of figs. There were lots of fig trees there. And Jesus saw a fig tree from far, far off and it had leaves on the tree. And if you don't do something like going to McClinic and Strong and look up fruit trees, it'll tell you that the figs came on, pre-season figs came on the tree before the first leaves, before leaf season. That's why I looked thinking I'm far off. Maybe there's figs on that preseason figs. And when he come up to it, there was no figs. And he knew how old it was because he was God. He knew I not only knew how old it was, but he knew that there was supposed to be preseason figs on it. So he killed the tree. And Peter starts arguing with him, What is wrong with you? And Jesus said, have faith in God. I'm God. If you'll say to this mountain. Now you want to know what a mountain is? Open up McClinic and Strong. Go on. You can go to McClinic and Strong. If you've got a computer, you can take your search engine and search for McClinic and Strong encyclopedias. And it'll pop up on the screen. And it'll have A volume, B volume, so forth. And you can go to the word mount. M-O-U-N-T in McClinic and Strong. It'll tell you mountain was a capital city of an empire. That's the first thing it'll tell you. It's a capital city. And the capital city of the Babylonian empire was Babylon. And the Bible says... In the 51st chapter of Jeremiah, or the 50th chapter of Jeremiah, 
and the 51st chapter, God says, Babylon is a proud mountain. Why is she proud? Because she said, let us make us a name. Let us make up our own Shem so we don't have to follow Shem and him tell us what to do. So he said, let us make us a name. You're proud. You're a proud mountain. And God says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. And he tells There's a battle between the mountain of the world which says, let us make us a name of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's the Babylonian mountain. Has what it wants. That's what Peter wanted that day. Peter had the cleanest leg in town. He always had his foot in his mouth up to his knee. He was always saying Jesus was a liar doing something. He said, be it far from thee, Lord, you don't have to be crucified. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, Satan, or Satanas. Adversary, Peter, you've been an adversary to me. That's what Satan means, adversary. You're being my adversary and saying, you're telling me I don't have to go and be crucified in Jerusalem, and I do. You're being like Satan. So he says, I'm going to take this mountain. And he says to Peter, if you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Everywhere you see Babylon, it's a mountain. And God says, it's going to be a burning mountain. burning mountain and Babylon is always going into the sea that's what he says in Matthew Matthew, the fifth chapter talking about the demoniac notice how demons and mountains and seas go together and the, the demoniac said don't drive our demons out Put them in these swine, because we believe in swine boars. The most famous boar in the first century was the boar of Egypt, Osiris. And they said, it was Osiris. They said when one of those Egyptians died, they got to go to their heaven and be with the great boar Cyrus. We know that the men that had these Boars were not Jews. It was an unclean animal. So he says, so they say, don't drive our our animals away from us. We want to put our spirit in them. And what God is saying, it I did never. I don't know why it never occurred to anybody else to say this. Jesus is not saying you can put inside of you into these swine and they'll talk back to you like what you want them to do because they believe that they could talk to the swine and their ancestors were in the swine. That was just one of their beliefs. Jesus said if you put what's in you, the insanity that's in you, like Mark 5 said, you were out here running through the... running through the... the uh, cemetery you're in trying to talk to your ancestors through these swine he said 
They will kill themselves if I put in them what is in you. That's the biggest question people say. What was in the swine? What went into the swine was the crazy wackiness that was in this guy's head. And what they did, they ran down the they ran down the mountainside into the sea. That ought to tell you something. Because Jesus tells Peter, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And then in Jeremiah the Jeremiah the fifty first chapter, Jeremiah takes the book of the law, hands it to this young prophet and says, Okay, go to Babylon. When you get to Babylon, that's about six hundred miles away from where Jeremiah is. He said, Tie take a cord and tie it around this book of the law and tie a rock on the end of it and cast it into the sea into the Euphrates and say, so shall Babylon sink. Everywhere Babylon is going down is always into the sea. That's amazing to me. You can look up sea just anywhere where there is, where there is boar, swine, demons, which there's no such thing. The man's imagining things he doesn't have. Jesus said, you want want me to take order from you? Watch what happens when I put inside of your head. What's inside of your head into these swine? Watch. He puts it into the swine. They go down the hill into the sea and drown. That's not what the man was thinking of at all. The same thing happens when Babylon is going down over in Revelation. Revelation, the 18th chapter. Babylon is a godless thing. It is nothing but our lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. Remember, idolatry, idololatria, means to serve what you see. It's just, it's an ungodly thing. But it feels good. Well, yeah, sure it does. Sin feels good. Temporarily. Not permanently. God brings conviction to the believer later on. You say, why did I do that? Oh, because it felt good for five minutes? That's what we go after usually. Now, look over here in Revelation. Here's the demise of Babylon. You have to, there's two things about Babylon you've got to keep remembering. It's a mountain. The Lord tells Ezekiel, He says, go speak in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. Go speak to the mountains of Zion. This is a battle between Zion and Babylon. It's a battle between the outer man and the inner man. And guess who's going to win? Jesus is going to win every battle he fights. 
When God puts conviction in your heart, you want to side with him. Say, boy, I've tried to fulfill my flesh all my life and I have never been able to do that. He says, then vote with me, self has to die. What's so funny, I've learned this as I grow older, but I've loved to have known this at 50. As soon as self starts dying, comfort comes. Peace comes to your mind. Peace. You don't have this outer man. That's why I said, when you start crucifying self, the outer man starts dying and you're not wrestling with him anymore. All you've got's an inner man. And that's peaceful to live with because you're not in competition with the world. These music stars I was talking about earlier, you can tell me there's no competition on stage, but that's all there is. Well, they're out there doing their thing. Wait till they hear me. It's nothing but a competitive. But that's true of all sports. Wait till they watch my speed. Watch me win. First of all, you're not supposed to win in life. Remember in in First Corinthians, the twelfth chapter, the Lord says, "Everyone is a part of the body, because the head, because the eye can say, I'm not of the ear. I, am I not of the body of Christ?" He said, God has placed everyone in the body of Christ as it hath pleased him. Then he says, the parts of the body of Christ that appear to be uncomely, it means they don't fit well. There's somebody that doesn't have the get up and go and they don't have the the imagination to motivate themselves to get up there and push and be a super salesman or something like we was talking about earlier. They don't have that. So the Bible says those uncomely parts of the body of Christ, let's give more honor to them. Because you don't need it when you're when you're on the ball and you've got things going, you go out there and self-start. I can self-start. I'll self-start any time, any part of the day. But I'm not supposed to get more honor. We're supposed to give that somebody that don't have the honor. And that's when he said we're members in particular. We all partake in the body of Christ, which is the church with a different job. But one job is not more important than the other. I tell the guys that work for the ministry, Dave and Tom and Mike and Mary, I tell them, without y'all, I can't do this. I can't can't run this ministry. All I can do is teach. All I can do is get up here and teach and read and give you Greek words. But I don't even know how to turn on those cameras back there. I can't do what Tom does. I don't want to do what Dave does. Boy, that's calling people on the phone and setting up these... TV stations and going back with them when we're having problems. That's something I don't even want to do. And he does. I tell Dave all the time, you are, you're, you're, in, you're, you're immeasurable to this ministry. And I tell Mike that. And I tell Tom that. You're here because I can't do this alone. All I can do is teach. Now, 
I want us to look at this destruction of Babylon. The destruction of Babylon comes at the end of all flesh. The flesh has to end in order for Babylon to end. When Jesus comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and obey not the gospel, that's when he destroys Babylon. Look here in Revelation. I can't even begin to tell you how Revelation is about. You've got the end of time. All through this book, I I guess I ought to take some time here and tell you all the places that Babylon ends. But it ends all through this book. I'll I'll do this next week. I don't have time to do it today. But you got the ending. You not only have the ending here in chapter 18, this is the destruction of Babylon. You have the ending in Revelation 16. That's Armageddon. You have the ending in Revelation 14. That's where the wine press is treaded outside the city. You have the ending in Revelation 14. You have the ending in Revelation 11. You have the ending in Revelation 10 at the signing of the last trump. It's all through Revelation, the end, the end of time. When Babylon goes down and it sinks into the sea and it's a burning mountain, let me give you the burning mountain one more time. God says over there in Jeremiah 51, 51, I'll make you a burnt mountain. Will you see that? When you see something in one part of the New Testament and then you see it in the Old Testament, you can connect the two together. When you see here in Revelation 8, let me just match this up for you so you can see it. Revelation 8. Revelation 8. In verse 8. These are the seven angels that got seven trumpets sounding. And the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And look over here in Jeremiah. Go back to Jeremiah. Well, all he's doing is fulfilling the prophecies that he's saying. Look over here in Jeremiah 50. And he describes Babylon being destroyed and being going down as a burning mountain into the sea. And he says here in, well, I'm flipped too far, excuse me. In Jeremiah. 50, Jeremiah 50, he says here in 50 and, in verse 29, call together the archers against Babylon. This is where he's bringing Cyrus and is going to destroy Babylon. All ye that bend the bow camp against Babylon round about. Let none thereof escape. We've talked about Cyrus destroying Babylon in 
Isaiah the 13th chapter, Isaiah the 14th chapter, Isaiah the 44th chapter, Isaiah the 45th chapter, Daniel the 5th chapter, when Belshazzar goes down. And do unto her, for she hath been proud against the Lord when she said, let us make us a name instead of following the name of God. And he says in verse 31, I am against thee, O thou most proud. Then he says over here in that she's going to be brought down in chapter 51. I will render unto Babylon to all the inhabitants of Chaldea. Always think, let us make us a name. That's what she was founded on. And all their evil that they have done in Zion, in your sight, saith the Lord, I am against the old destroying mountain, saith the Lord. And he says, I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks and make thee a burnt mountain. And then you see the burnt mountain in Revelation 8. That has to be the end of time when that second trumpet sounds and the great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And then go over here to Revelation, the 18th chapter. And this will tell you, if you find something in the Old Testament that can align with the New Testament, they're pretty much the same. You can find this is the best way to study the Bible. Find the shadow and the very image. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and 1. We'll look at that real quick. Hebrews 10 and 1. Hebrews 10 and 1. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. The law is over here in the Old Testament. And it's actually talking about the rituals of the law and not the very image. Image is the word icon. It means likeness. The shadow over here is the word skia. It's just a shade. The shade or the shadow doesn't have the inner workings of the body. It doesn't have a circulatory system. It's just a shadow. It doesn't have a pulmonary system. It's just a shadow. So when you get over here into the 18th chapter of Revelation, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power. This is verse 1. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Says it twice. Why? Because it fell over here in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 50 and 51. Or when Cyrus came in and attacked, Cyrus came in in Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter, Cyrus came in, and Ezra, the first chapter. This is nothing but different accounts of the same thing.
Ezra the first chapter, Daniel the fifth chapter. That's where Belshazzar is on the night he was taken and killed. When he saw the handwriting on the wall, thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. And he said, I'll give you half of my kingdom to Daniel if you can tell me what that says. Daniel probably is thinking, what do I need half of a kingdom for when you're not going to be in charge of it as of tonight? In Daniel the fifth chapter, in Isaiah the Isaiah the forty fourth chapter, Isaiah the forty fifth chapter, Jeremiah fifty and fifty one. This is the first is fallen right here. Is fallen. What is what is it that is fallen? Let us make us a name. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that the outer man wants, is the lust of the flesh. That's what it is. So this is the first is fallen over here. Is fallen over here is an international Babylonian attitude and city that's going on at the end of time. And it has to do with stuff. Dirt. Men hated the cross of Christ in Philippians, the third chapter, because their mind was on earthly things. Their mind was on gay, which is the word dirt. That's the word soil or dirt. And everything you see is made of dirt. That is what man goes after when this outer man wants all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's it. Boy, don't you have a hard time conquering this right here? I've had a hard time. The guy that's given me more problem than anybody that's ever lived in my life is me. That's the most trouble I've ever had is the outer man and Jim Brown. I wanted to blame other people, but it was God dealing with me. I ain't, I'm not going to tell you what I've been through in the sin in my life. We're not even to be talking about those things according to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I'm really ashamed of the way I've lived. My father, you say, I'm not ashamed of anything I've ever done. I wish I could, he could come back here and say that to me now because i got the guts now to say, Daddy, if you've never been ashamed, you're not a believer. You have to be ashamed to be a believer. That's what Jeremiah, the thirty. First chapter says, shame is the first thing that has to happen. Now, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's what it's talking about. It's not hard to understand. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, has become the habitation of Devonion. Devils is the word demon. Business distribute fortunes, all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes of pride of life is what the outer man wants. He just wants stuff. If you can get over the outer man, you've won the battle. The battle with us is having what we want, isn't it? Have you had that problem, Teresa? We've all had that problem. I've been the worst of the worst. 
And then he says, Become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit. Foul spirits, those are demons. Not demons, literal demons, imaginary demons. What men have done, they've invented demons to absolve themselves of their outer man. I'm not going to get through this. I'm about out of time. Let me read you one thing. I'm going to read you a verse that describes Babylon more than any other verse in the Bible. Isaiah, the 47th chapter. This is a Babylonian fix. It's a Babylonian drug. Isaiah 47. This is what Babylon says every time. Verse 8, chapter 47. Therefore hear now this, thou that art given to pleasures, the outer man, that dwellest carelessly, yet not careful of anything you do, that says in thine heart, I am, and nobody matters but me, none else beside me. That's, this is a Babylonian attitude. I shall not sit a widow, neither shall I know the loss of of brethren business but these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day the loss of children widowhood there shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments There's no such thing as real sorceries. It's just a different word. And I love verse 10. This describes a Babylonian attitude. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. That's what Israel said over and over. God doth not know. He doth not care. Nobody sees the devious underhanded things I'm doing. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge it hath perverted thee, and thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and nobody matters besides me. That's it. That's the best Babylonian verses I can find in the Bible. I am, and none else beside me. Neil Diamond wrote a stupid song. It's a stupid song. It's about a man saying, I am... And I'm all that matters. And here I am in Los Angeles. And I, and I, it's just about me. It's about self. That's a real dumb song he wrote. The problem with all of America is this outer man. The only hope for anybody in America is if you've been born again by the will of God and God is going to take your life and He's going to crush you over the years and say you've had all you've had all that you wanted up until this point. You belong to me and I'm going to make your life miserable till you completely bow to me. And I know how many I mean I know how many straws it takes to break the camel's back. He's going to say one, two, three four, five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, and then all of a sudden you're bowing under it. And he says, I think this is the one, you know, crunch. 
and he knows how to crunch his people. He came to the bruise, the crushed, and he's got to do the crushing. I hope you can get a hold of this thing that I'm teaching on Babylon. Everything that's fleshly goes with it. Anything, any of the I wants, I want. That's all that the flesh is. I want what I want. And I don't care what I have to do to get it. That's called covetousness is idolatry. I'm so, I can't explain to people how I feel now in my mid-80s. I can't, I try to explain it to people. I don't think my family would believe me. I don't care nothing about, I don't care nothing about my flesh. And people mistake that because I call people down. You don't care about people either. No, no, I'll call down my family. I'll call down my brother. I'll call down my sister. And that's all I've got left is a brother and a sister. Not because I don't care about them, but because I do. And if they belong to God, they'll repent. Well, that's all I've got to say. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for convicting my heart the way you have. Lord, help me to be broken more and more. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, I pray you'll deal with people here that you'll deal with their sin. Crush us under your hand. You said you came to the crushed. It doesn't feel good, not in the flesh. But it's what you want. God will give you the praise for everything we do. And we'll give you praise for everything you do to us. Fight our battles. In Christ's name, amen. I just, it's hard to preach this message in one message. I don't know how a preacher can do this in one message. Everything that has to do with the flesh has to do with it.